Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcasts. You'll be glad you did. Reading now from NOLA.com. Nutria have torn through Louisiana swamps. Could they be coming? Oh, I'm sorry. Louisiana's marshes. Could they be coming for the Cypress swamps next? Nutria are to be blamed for eating through several hundred acres of Louisiana marsh each year, and they appear to be moving inland to gnaw away at the state's treasured swamplands. It could be that they've eaten themselves out of house and home, said Jennifer Manuel, who's the manager of the State Department of Wildlife and Fisheries Nutria Control Program. And Jennifer joins us on the air right now. Jennifer, thank you so much for the time. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. Uh, so this article came across my desk about a week ago after you gave this interview to the paper. We've known about the hazards that Nutria pose to our wetlands for a long time now. What's changed? Why is this in the news today? Well, this is this is not a new issue. Um Nutria have always posed an issue to cypress swamps because we've been doing plantings in the cypress swamps for several decades. Um, and Nutria have been a problem to these these plantings that have been done by state agencies and nonprofit groups um, since the 1980s. So uh, we've had to adapt and find ways to, to help protect those those new seedlings when, when they're planted. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh- what are the different things that you do in your program to control nutria? Sure. We have the Coastwide Nutria Control Program, which is going into its 22nd year. Wow. Uh, it's funded by QIPRA, which is the Coastal Wetland Planning Protection and Restoration Act, the federal act. It's federal money. Um, it encompasses all of the coastal marsh, which is south of I-10 and I-12. And so people can register for the program. They can go to Nutria.com, register for the program, and then they can go and hunt property that they own, property that they lease, or one of the available public land properties. And we pay them $6 a tail. Wow, $6 a tail. It, is that ever going to get – does that price move up or down ever? Yeah, I mean, when it started out – in 2002, we paid $4 a tail, and then after Katrina, it was raised to $5 a tail, and then in 2019, it was raised to $6 a tail. So there is a plan to incrementally raise that that price over time. Okay. Uh, this article I'm reading has a great picture of you doing an aerial survey over the marshland. What is mm-hmm. it that you're looking for that shows you that there's nutrient damage there? Kind of paint the picture for us. What are you looking sure. out for? We're looking for eat-outs um, in the marsh, so it's it's pretty easy to spot from the air. You can actually see the nutria from the air. We're only flying at about 
a height of about 80, 80 feet, 80 to 100 feet. So we're pretty low to the ground. So you can see the nutria running around, and we're looking for areas of, of bare mud where they've denuded the marsh of all vegetation. So bare mud is basically a clear sign that there's been nutria through there. And you can see in the photo, I mean, they leave these these tracks. It's almost like a, a, a snail trail. You know, you can see where they've been. Why, why do they eat like that? Is there any particular reason you could point to? Um, I, I'm not sure why they, they kind of leave those tracks other than just being creatures of habit. They like to follow the same paths, uh-huh. um, just like any other wildlife. Yeah. So they have these platforms that they'll build out in the marsh, and that's kind of their home base. And then they'll follow these these trails around the marsh. And nutria like to eat the roots of the plant. So they'll travel through these little pathways, and they'll pull up the plant, eat the roots, and then generally they'll waste the rest of the plant. They don't eat the leaves. So uh, they'll follow these paths, denude the marsh pretty easily, and then once they start in one spot, it kind of spreads out like a disease, and they'll the spots can get bigger and bigger, and then as the population grows, they can kind of really spread out from there and cause quite a lot of damage. I didn't really know this until recently, but uh, wetlands damage from nutria is not just a problem that's exclusive to Louisiana. They also have serious issues from coast to coast. They got them in California. They got them in Maryland. Um, tell us how Nutria arrived in Louisiana in the first place, and then tell us how did they get to California and Maryland? <laughs> sure. Yeah, they're, they're a problem pretty much across the, the country. Um, they got here in the early to mid-1930s. They were brought here um, by entrepreneurs who thought they could raise them for the fur and, and the meat. Mm-hmm. Um, and when that didn't pan out, they were released. Um, similar situations happened in other states, uh, certainly in California, as, as far back as the late 1800s, they were bringing nutrient in for various reasons, farming reasons. So I'm sure most states probably have a similar story where they were brought in by entrepreneurs who thought it would be a good source of fur for the burgeoning fur market in the early part of the 1900s. And then when that just didn't pan out, they were released. Uh, okay, thank you for that. As the, as the nutria move from the grassy marshes into the more wooded, swampy areas, how does that change your approach to eradicating them and tracking where they are? We have quite a lot of cypress swamp that is included as part of the coastal, uh, coastwide nutria control program, and we have quite a lot of participants who participate in those areas. Um, certainly, Cypress swamps tend to be a little bit easier to access than our coastal marshes. The bayous are a little bit deeper. They can get um, a standard boat in versus a lot of the marshes might require different kinds of equipment, a shallow water boat or an airboat in order to access all of the areas. So um, we've seen increases in participation in cypress swamps. So more people are hunting those areas. And um, that really helps, you know, keep the population down and help ensure that there's um, more success when they go and do cypress plantings. Okay, thank you. Uh, and look, I know you're a fur-bearer biologist and not a, 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 a necessarily a tree or forestry specialist, but I, I wanted to ask you this anyway because I've, I've always been curious about this. Um, before I have the job, before I had the job that I have now, I was a tour guide in the French Quarter, and mm-hmm. I would, you know, take people around and talk to them about architecture and ecology and culture and food. And I would get to a point where I would describe what Louisiana's virgin cypress forests looked like 100 years ago. And I described it as something similar in grandeur and scope to the California redwoods. 
And it mm-hmm. was a sobering moment on my tours when I asked my guests to consider what a tragic loss that would be if people, settlers in Northern California, had just logged all the redwoods without even really thinking twice about it. I, I asked my guests to consider what a tragic loss that would have been. And then I asked them to consider that's what we did here. That's what we did. We, we destroyed something that was every bit as beautiful and bountiful and useful and precious and holy as the California redwoods. We had that here and we destroyed it. Do you think that's a fair comparison? Um, I really can't speak on that. As you said, I'm not a forester and I don't have a lot of experience with the history of, of the Cypress logging industry here in Louisiana. But, um, yeah, I think you're entitled to your opinions on that and, and um, could be a fair comparison. Okay. I mean, that. yeah, I know. I, I thought it was kind of a wacky question to ask, but I wanted <laughs> to ask it anyway. Well, wh- okay, so where maybe you could say uh, where's like the last remaining really virgin cypress stands? Are there any still out there? Yeah, I mean, I think the closest you can get is kind of the in- northern Atchafalaya Basin uh-huh. still has quite a lot of nice cypress swamp. Great. I'll have to make it out there sometime. Anything else you want our uh, audience to know before we let you go, Jennifer? No, I guess I just want to reiterate, if you want to learn more about our control program, please go to Nutria.com. Nutria.com. Oh, you know what? There is one other thing I wanted to ask you. I had a very difficult time researching this uh, the, the material for this interview because I keep searching for Nutria, and I just get stonewalled by a million articles about Nudie, the pet Nutria, who just sucked all the oxygen out of the room in the news cycle where Nutria stuff is concerned. Do you have any feelings about keeping Nutria as pets? Uh, I really can't speak on that other than they are an invasive species that causes quite a lot of damage, and people should be mindful of that before they consider it as a pet. I think that's just right. My guest is Jennifer Manuel, a fur-bearer biologist and manager of the Louisiana Department of Wildlife and Fisheries Coastwide Nutria Control Program. Jennifer, nice meeting you. Thank you for your time, your work, and your way. Take care. Thank you. All right. Adios. I'm going to come back and talk to everybody who's waiting on the Oakland Art Jewelers talking text line. That could include you. Give me a call. 504-260-1870. Anything you want to say about that debate last night? We can just kind of do that for a minute. I am also going to talk to a friend of mine uh, from the theater community. He's going to be on in a minute. Give me a call. 504-260-1870. I'm Ian Hoke, and I'll be right back. Hey, Rob Bradford here. I have set out on a mission with my good friends at FanDuel to prove what I have known for some time. Baseball isn't boring. Now I have a daily podcast to prove it with some of the most notable people in the baseball world screaming baseball isn't boring from the mountaintops or at least agreeing to come on our show. Players, managers, GMs, and yes, even the commissioner of baseball, Rob Manfred. It has been a constant wave of baseball's most powerful voices. So join the revolution. Subscribe and soak in baseball isn't boring. Listen on your Odyssey app or wherever you get your podcast. You'll be glad you did.